Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. What a mighty God we serve. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Amen. It's a powerful thing when we're reminding ourselves, our spirit, by hearing what we're saying. Yeah, 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 you know, we're facing this, we're facing this, but our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. Amen. How many have a need before the Lord? I want you to lift your hands up. You know, can we do this? Take your neighbor's hand as a sign of unity. Take your neighbor's hand. White hands and black hands and young hands and bald hands and all kinds of hands coming together. Where there is unity, I will command my blessing there. Say this out loud. Father, today I will hear the word of God and receive it and do it. And when I receive, when I hear, and I do what you tell me to do, my life will never be the same. Today, I'm not going under, but I'm going over. Because in the name and by the blood of Jesus, my best, your best, our best is yet to come. I am more than a conqueror in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. Give five people a high five and tell them you're better looking than I thought. Oh. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Does everybody have the victory? You know, in case you wonder why I'm always carrying my phone, I hear everything that I'm saying and you're saying, I hear it through, through my phone, and so I'm not texting anybody. And so I want to ask you not to text anybody while I'm teaching. Amen. Open your Bibles up to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and about eight years ago, I started a series on teaching a prayer that we pray when we're saying the Lord's Supper. Now, we call it the Lord's Supper. Most of you know, and just to remind you, as we're getting close to Easter, to Passover, this is the prayer that Jesus taught when they were doing the Passover, the Seder dinner. And we're going to be doing a Seder dinner here on one of the Friday nights. I can't remember that's coming up. And we'll teach you that everything in the Seder, Seder that Jewish people do around the world is telling us that Jesus is the Messiah. So this is the prayer, and Paul is teaching this. Read with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting with verse 23. And he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, let me stop you right there. And the way that should be translated is, yes, we do this to remember what the sacrifice Jesus made. But he's literally saying, when you do this, remember what I did for you and how it works. Look at me. There is no power in ritual without revelation. There's no power in ritual without the revelation. And so Jesus is saying, when you take communion or you take the Lord's Supper or you do Passover, don't just do it as a ritual, but remember what is spiritually and supernaturally happening when you do this. Everything God gives us to do, 
There is a supernatural power behind it. God says, when you come into my house, lift up your hands. People think, well, pastor, do you really think something happens when we lift up our hands? Yes. God, the God who can defeat anything in your life, he comes and he lives in the praises of his people. You know, so many times we're going through something and we don't feel like praising God. That's the time you need to praise God more than ever. You look at the story of Moses. When Moses lifted his hands praising God, the Israeli army won. When he, when he was tired and put his hands down, they were defeated. And so it was so important because when God says to do something, there is something supernatural that happens behind it. So they came and they lifted up his arms. They held his arms up so that when he was praising God, the victory was ours. When we come to church, we need to lift our hands. We need to shout with a loud voice. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. As long as you're breathing, praise the Lord. Amen. Can I have an amen? amen? It's not a ritual. And, and that's why I, I, I'm sad to see how the Holy Spirit has been taken out of the church. When we, when, I don't know about you, but there are times when I'm singing, our God is an awesome God. There are times I'm lifting my hands up and I'm going, I'm praising him in the understanding and I'm praising him in the spirit. As a matter of fact, praising him in the spirit says we're building ourselves up in the most holy faith. Oh, I need a better amen to that. We, we, need to, we need to get back to being spirit-filled. All right, I need to go on. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember what this means in your life supernaturally. Now, we talked when we started this series, and I'm going to go past this today. We talked that this scripture always bothered me. This is my body which is broken for you. And we went over all the scriptures where the Lord promised us no bone in Jesus' body would be broken. You go all the way back to the Passover lamb, and we'll, we'll do this in the, in the Seder meal, that when they brought that lamb in, which represents the Messiah, they said, make sure, make sure no bones are broken. So we look at this, and we know that the, over and over again, the scripture says no bone would be broken. And yet we read this and it says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And we understand that it's been translated from ancient Hebrew or Western Aramaic into English. And it's the wrong translation. It's the right teaching, but it's the wrong translation. It's an Aramic word, which means this is my body, which was peeled for you, which was scraped away for you. And the teaching comes from that when Israel came into the land uh, that became theirs, the promised land, the houses of the enemy were already built. Now, let me give you a little side teaching. The houses of the enemy are already built, and so they moved into the empty houses. And they found out when they moved into the empty houses that a lot of those houses, if not most of the houses, had a curse on them. Yeah. Now, it might be a curse of sickness. It might be a curse of, of poverty. It might be a curse of failure. But it had a curse on them. And, you know, I was telling the guys the other day, I was out praying, and we've got a little bit of land. I have some cows and some horses. And I'm walking that, and I, it dawned on me. We've been, in, we've been in, in that house for about three years or so. And it dawned on me, I've never prayed over this land. Now you say, Pastor Larry, what do you mean? If you move into a house that somebody else has lived in, you don't know what's going on in that house right there may have been drug addiction in that house there may have been a bad marriage in that house there may have been murder in that house there's all kinds of things and so when you move into a house 
You need to go, and this is part of putting a mezuzah on your door. You need to go from room to room and say, I bind every force of darkness that's ever been in this house. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus, and I dedicate this bedroom. I dedicate this kitchen. I dedicate this living room. I'm going to do a teaching on this before long, but you need to understand that there are spirits, good and bad, everywhere. And if even if you build a house, you don't know who built that house. You don't know what carpenter, what electrician. And so I'm walking on my land the other day, and I said, you know what? We never really face these kinds of things in, of health. I don't know what went on in that, that land I'm on. And so I began to walk that land. I just began to walk in and saying, I put the blood of Jesus. I bind anything that's ever taken place. And so this is the situation. How many would like me to teach on that? It's, it's a, it's a, I could tell you stories. I could tell you stories of things that I've seen when we've gone in people's houses and dedicated. If you're in a life group, you need to have that life group come to your house and dedicate that house and, and bind the devil and plead the blood. The, anyway, this is the case with Israel going in there. And so there would be a curse in there. It might be a curse of, of anger or violence or whatever it is. So they would go in there and the rabbis would literally scrape the wall and remove the plaster and throw it away and then for seven days, he would speak the blessing of God over there. On the seventh day, go in to make sure that curse, and they would know the curse by a manifestation of a, a, a mold, a leprosy type of thing. And so this is, this is extremely important because when the Lord said, this is my body, which is broken for you, if we're going to have the harvest that Jesus wants us to have. And listen to me, listen to me prophetically. The next two years is gonna be amazing. God is, go, is right now going through, and we're already hearing amazing victories in the kingdom of God, in, in people in this church's life. The next two years, God is gonna go through the body of Christ for the priests and the kings, you who make the finances, and he's the next two years is going to elevate you and elevate you and elevate you. The next two years, receive this, is going to be the greatest harvest spiritually, financially in your life than you've ever seen before. How many receive that? The greatest harvest. We're already people getting raises and bonuses and debt cancellation and, and all these things. The greatest harvest that you've ever seen before. But understand this. If you don't kill the tares, the tares will rise up and choke out the harvest. When Jesus died on the cross, think about it. Jesus, did, we just did a whole month of television programming on this. Jesus, if all Jesus was going to do was get you and I to heaven, Pay the price. Die for our sin. The wages of our sin is death. If all, all Jesus would do is die for our sin so that we could make heaven our home, he could have died when they came to arrest him in the garden. He could have died at the whipping post when he was beaten as no man was ever beaten before. Think about Jesus getting to Calvary and he's carrying that that cross and he's walking the via della rosa which we'll walk in about a month or so or now when we're in in israel and think about you know here's here's a fascinating point and most of you know it many don't jesus a jew was i gotta get to calvary i've gotta get up there and he couldn't make it he was he was dying from what they did to him and a black man came and picked up the cross and so here you have the unity of a black man and a white man or a black man and a jew carrying the cross the calvary there's the power of unity right there somehow oh, come on give me a better amen to that why did he go through that he had to get to the cross on calvary because cursed is he who hangs on a tree now listen if all Jesus did was die for my sin, I couldn't love him enough. I couldn't praise him enough. But from the Garden of Gethsemane to the, 
to the Mount of Calvary where Jesus said it's finished, he shed his blood seven different times along that journey. And then at Calvary, he said, it's finished. He not only took our sin, but he broke, he peeled away in those seven places that he shed his blood. He peeled away every curse that could come against us. Now, we're going to go into the seven places Jesus shed his blood. But you, before, you know, when, when, um, when we found out Lion was sick or we found out Tis was sick, the first thing I do, or I'm praying for you, the first thing I do is not pray that you receive the healing that's already taken place. Or you need a, um, um, one of our people in their company was facing, uh, the government was holding back a bunch of their money. And so we prayed last week and I prayed every day during this. And I didn't pray, oh God, open, open the windows of heaven. I first pray, Satan, I bind you. Say this, Satan, I bind you. I rebuke you. I command you, get out of my life. Now, you got to understand, when Jesus said to Peter, who do you say to them? Peter goes, you're the Christ. You're the burden removing and the yoke destroying. You'll forgive our sin, but you'll also break every curse. And he said, whatsoever you bind on earth, you've got to first kill the weeds or they'll choke out your harvest. Amen? Sickness does not come from God. It comes from the devil. Divorce does not come from God. It comes from the devil. Lack of finances does not come from God. It comes from the devil. Whatever you're facing, you need to rise up first and say, I bind you. This is my body. And all seven places that I shed my blood, I'm peeling that curse away so that you can receive and walk and live in the blessing of the power of my blood. Amen. Say, I bind you. Every day. Now, you don't say that, you know, uh, uh, like, let, let's say you've got a, a neighbor that's causing all kinds of trouble. You don't walk up to that neighbor and go, uh, excuse me, I bind you. <laughs> I was going to tell you a story, but that's when I was younger in the Lord. I was <laughs> but you do bind that spirit. Let's say your, your, your boss is passing you by and you're supposed to get the raise. Father, give me the raise. That's your harvest. But you first bind the devil that's blocking that harvest. This is my body, which was scraped away to remove every curse. Now, let's read on down. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, if we had the time, we would go and read down further. But the Lord says, before you do this, you need to stop and check yourself. Because for this reason, many are weak and dying amongst you. And I can get into that and all these things. But this is what God is saying is, this is a very supernatural revelation. Don't just do it lightly. Don't just do it to be doing it religiously. Do it understanding what Jesus has already accomplished for you. Right? This is the blood. Now, the curse has been removed. Whatever it is, big curse, little curse, whatever it is. Sometimes it's a family curse. Sometimes it's a generational curse. Sometimes it started with your great-great-grandfather. Sometimes it started with you. But it doesn't matter. Are you born again? We're going to pray this at, at the end of the service that if you're not born again, you, it's, not a ritual, it's, it's not a ritual that you mess with. This is a supernatural revelation. Amen? Amen? So first off, every curse is defeated. Jesus said it's finished. He took the curse on him. Then he goes, and it's not a coincidence. Then he says, now remember the blood. Because the blood redeems us. The blood reconnects. The curse blocks the blessing. 
The curse blocks the blessing. The blood of Jesus not only defeats the enemy, but it reconnects us to the promises of God to all of us. If you were to say, my people destroyed for what reason? If you were to say, even today, after we've been teaching this for years and years and years and years on television, if you were to say to, to Christians, I, I would go to a conference and I would say, finish this, this scripture. I'm redeemed by the, and they go, the blood. I said, how many people believe Jesus redeemed us by the blood? Yes. Where did Jesus shed his blood? At Calvary. And you're partially right, but my people destroyed for what reason? Lack of knowledge. Now, we're going to talk the next several weeks about the seven places Jesus shed his blood. The number seven, the number of completion, the number of wholeness. On the day of Yom Kippur, when they would come and bring two sacrifices to the temple, they would kill one sacrifice. It removed all the sin. Every sin, no matter where in Israel, was removed. Then they would take the blood of that lamb. They would go into the Holy of Holies where the power of God is ready. The power of God is ready. And they would sprinkle the blood how many times? Seven different times. In Dallas, we call that a clue. So we need to not just say, I'm redeemed by the blood. We need to know the truth. We need to own that truth on what the blood has done for us. There's no power. There's no power in saying I'm redeemed by the blood. When we take, when we do Passover, we do communion or whatever, and we say this is my body which is broken for you, you're going to know things that 99.999% of Christians don't know. That Jesus' body was not broken. What it means was this is my body and every place they caused me to bleed, it removed another curse. And that I took every curse. So you're going to know something. So when we, we, when we say this is my body and you break the bread, or even when you do that on Shabbat in your own home, you're say, you, you know and you say to yourself, you say to the family, every curse that comes against my life, my family, my finance, and my body, every curse has been defeated through Jesus Christ. Amen. Say every curse. every curse. And I have authority. authority. Now... The tares are killed. The tares are, are, are destroyed. They cannot rise up and choke out your blessing. So let's look at the very first place that Jesus shed his blood. The first place that Jesus shed his blood was in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you remember when Jesus was praying, I think we have a picture that they're already late bringing up again. There it is. When they, when you remember Jesus, Jesus was, that's not the right picture, but we can use it. When Jesus was praying, we need to remember that Jesus was the son of God, right? Amen. Being the son of God, he knew what they were going to do to him. Right. Being the son of God, he knew that if he surrendered to his father's plan, they would come and arrest him. He knew that they would take his beard and rip it. Think about ripping a beard from the face. It's not the hair's not coming out. The, the, the skin is being peeled away, being scraped away. He knew that they would beat him at the whipping post with a horrible, horrible instrument of torture, and his body would be broken like no one's body has been broken before and survived. He knew they would laugh at him. He knew that they would parade him naked in front of everyone, including his mother. He knew that they would take him to the cross and put spikes in his hands and in his feet. And he knew he was going to die. He knew that. But the thing we need to remember was Jesus was not just the son of God. He was a, a human like us. Just like us. He would feel everything they were going to do to him. And it wasn't going to take five minutes. You're talking about a whole day of torture. And so in the garden, in agony, he says, Father, 
if there be some other way, let this cup pass from me. Now, if you remember, and we'll show this in the Seder meal, that there are cups that you drink, but the last cup that they drank, Jesus set it aside. And he said, I won't drink this cup until the appointed time. And now here he is, and he's saying, Lord, if there be some other way, let this cup, that's the cup he's talking about, let this cup pass from me. But then the spirit of God and his destiny and his boldness and courage, he said, nonetheless, lest I drink this cup, not my will, but thy will be done. And the Bible says at that very moment, out of his pores where we sweat came droplets of blood. Now, that's not just a cute story. I, I, I think in my book, I told stories of doctors testifying in hospitals that when somebody gets this devastating news, there are many incidences in which the tension, the pressure within their system, they'll sweat blood. It causes, it causes their, their pores to sweat blood from this anxiety, this fear, this tension. This is what happened with Jesus. He sweat great drops of blood, but he didn't do it just so we could tell a story. We're reconnected to the promises and the power of God through that blood. Now, follow me. Here we are in Gethsemane, and Jesus says, let this cup pass. But then he says, not my will, but thy will be done. Now go from the Garden of Gethsemane all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had it made. Everything, every, God blessed everything. But God said, this one tree is mine. Don't touch it. Now we know that Eve was beguiled. Eve was tricked by, the, by Satan. But Adam made a willful decision. And he said, I'm going to eat of this tree. I, I want to be like God. Now, in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. In the garden of Eden, Adam said, not your will, but my will. And he surrendered. And the Bible says at that moment, Satan became the God of this world. And, and Adam surrendered our willpower to Satan. Now, I want you to look at this. When I was a drug dealer, when I was a drug addict, I would take cocaine and heroin and stick it in my vein. I got to the point that I had no heat in my house. I had no food in my house. I had no electricity in my house because everything was going to heroin and cocaine. And I would stick that in my vein and then I would take it. I remember several times taking and going to that. And I lived in the woods in this, in this shack and I'd throw it out. And I said, I'm never going to do that again. And then several hours later, I'd be out going through the leaves looking for that needle to do it again. Nobody wants to be a drug addict. Nobody says, okay, I, you know what? I think, you know, I think I'll just become a heroin addict or an alcoholic. Nobody wants to. How many times does a drug addict or a heroin addict or whatever say, I'm never, I'm never doing that again. It's ruining my life. It's ruining my home. It's ruining my career. It's ruining my family. But then they go and do it again. I've told you this so many times. The world told my mom and dad, you know, my mom, my mother, who's 95 years old now, she said to Tiz not many years ago when we were living in Rockwall, we brought her down and she said, you know, Larry's invited me to come down and for years and years and I wouldn't come. And she told Tiz, I was afraid it wasn't true. I was afraid I'd get here and find out it wasn't true that he's still a drug addict or he's still this or he's still that. She told Tiz, she said, when Larry left St. Louis to go to Arizona, she said, I figured it's the last time I'd see him alive. 
He'd die in a drug deal. He'd die of an overdose because the street says once a junkie, always a junkie. The world says you can't change, but the word says who the son sets free shall be free indeed. And that's through the blood of Jesus. Somebody shout amen. Amen. So when we understand this, maybe you're going through, or maybe somebody you love is going through something that's kind, that's an addictive. Maybe it's been passed on. Grandpa was a drug addict or an alcoholic. My my dad. Now my dad died uh, a Christian, but my dad was was was. You know, I, I said, I remember one time saying, you know, well, at least dad wasn't drunk, and my, my mom said he's drunk all the time. So maybe it's something that's passed on generation after generation. God will break this. Or maybe it's something started with you. My dad may have been an alcoholic, but that spirit passed on to me as a drug addict. It passed on to my brothers and sisters. And through only through Jesus and the blood of Jesus can you break that. See, I don't go to a meeting and saying, hi, I'm Larry. I'm a, I'm a drug addict. I'm, no, hi, I'm Larry. I'm born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, and I'm free, and you can be free too. But, you know, there's another curse, and this is one, you know, uh, I was praying about this on the way, and actually I got to church late, I think I told you, because I went the wrong way. I was praying about this. My dad didn't just pass addiction onto us. My dad passed anger onto us. And I brought this anger. People have a hard time believing But my greatest problem before I knew Christ was not drugs. My greatest problem was I was extremely violent. Now, I know that's hard. People have, oh, Pastor, you weren't like that. You know, we're trying to get my mom to come down here and bring her down at 95. But one thing we told her, Mom, you can't keep telling people stories about me. (laughs) Even I don't tell everything. And I brought this anger as a Christian into my, into my marriage and my home with Tiz. I brought it in. And I remember when we were pastoring in Australia, and Luke was how old? Luke was three years old for us. I did something, and I grabbed him, and I just pushed him and bounced him against the wall. And I said these words, I'm just like Dad. The difference is Dad didn't know Jesus, and I'm a pastor. And so I began to pray, and is there something wrong with me? Is is there something in the Bible about generational curses? And found out it's in there over 325 times. But the only way to break that is when Israel brought the two lambs to the temple, one was for the sacrifice of sin. The other one was to break the curse, maybe. Maybe the curse would be broken. If the curse wasn't broken, it blocked the blessing. The blood was sprinkled seven times, but it blocked the blessing. But this is why Jesus said to Peter, who do you say that I am? You go, you're the one who will not only forgive us of our sin, but guarantee to break every curse. And so when I looked at that, you know, I I can't tell you how many times I told Tiz, I'm sorry. I'm going to change. And I was Christian. I was born again, but I didn't understand this truth about the blood of Jesus. And when I discovered that, I said, devil, I bind you. I rebuke that spirit of anger that's in me. I bind it, and I plead the blood of Jesus. And I'm telling you something. You have to go a long, long way to make me angry. You have to, you have to go. Before I would snap, I, as a pastor, I, I've gotten in fistfights in my own church. Now, the only reason I'm confessing this, you know, the Bible says confess your faults one to another. Confess it. Now, that didn't go around, that didn't didn't mean we go around in this old doctrine of standing up in church and I want to confess I did this. No, you don't do that. You you confess. If you want to confess something, you confess it to the Lord or you confess it to one of the pastors or somebody that you can trust. You don't go around and tell people your problem. That's That's a false teaching. But the Bible says confess your faults one to another. 
And that word fault is like an earthquake fault. It's what's lying beneath the surface. I would come to church and lift my hands and praise God. And every evangelist, every evangelist would call me out. And you're going to preach the gospel around the world. And God's going to use you in this. But what they didn't know is that sometimes at home, when the, when the situation was right, that fault would rise up and my anger would rise up. And it was destroying my life. It was destroying my marriage. It was destroying my family. And then I realized, you know what? Jesus' name is above anything that comes against me and the power of his blood. And that's why when you look at Passover, the Lord said, take the blood of the lamb. You take the, you, 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 you take the blood of the lamb and put it on the inside doorpost of your house. And when I see that you understand the blood, I will stand in front of your family and I will say anger and drug addiction and alcohol. You cannot enter anymore in this blood bought property. Somebody ought to shout amen. Now, Tiz and I were saved and married and, you know, looking to go in the ministry. And we didn't tell anybody we ha- I had an anger problem because that would be embarrassing. Well, I'm a, I'm a child of God. But I didn't understand the blood. But here's what I found out along with that. If you have an anger problem, or maybe somebody you know, but let me talk. And, and we, how many know women can have anger problems too? Come on, ladies. How many know lying is a sin? <laughs> you know, men have anger problems and they punch holes in the wall. You put a picture over it. Women have anger problems and say, honey, what's wrong? Nothing. <laughs> no, really. I said nothing. But I want to talk to especially men. Because when we become a Christian, we don't become sissies. He doesn't take our manliness away. He takes that anger and he sanctifies it. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. In other words, don't react the way the world does. I'm still have, I still have that violent nature in me. That's why I can't stand it when the devil says, we're coming in your schools and we're going to teach your children. And so many pastors saying, oh, we better not say anything. Well, you better bet I'm going to get in your face. If you're going to teach our children about this stuff, you better bet I'm going to get in your face. Right? So, man, God doesn't want to take your manliness away. He wants to sanctify that where, you know, even Jesus had sanctified anger. He's going into the temple. You know, we look at Jesus. Oh, Jesus. No, I like the Jesus who saw the, the, the guys ripping people off in their offering. Hello, church. Ripping people off in their offering. The money changers. And Jesus is standing there, and he didn't just kind of lose it. He braided a whip. Steam coming out of his ears. And he went in and kicked the tables over and ran them out of the house of God. There is a place to be a man. That's why the Bible says, put on the armor of God. It didn't say put on the tutu. It's my favorite part of the whole story. It's my favorite. I can't handle it when men of God don't act like men. We're to be men. God, didn't, God took my sin. He didn't take my manliness. But he sanctified that and said, now be angry at the devil. Don't, you battle not with flesh and blood. Be angry at the devil. And that's why I can't, you know, they're, they're, I, I tried. I tried for years to be a reverend. And I, it's just, I'm, I'm from the streets. That's where God saved me. And that's how I grew up. And that's all I know. And when I look at, look at men in the Bible. Look, look at David. David wasn't perfect. But when he saw that Goliath, he said, who is this uncircumcised? He didn't go back and, oh, we better not say something. They might take our 501c3. <laughs> right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So we ain't bowing down. Throw the line in here. Hook a brother up. Right? 
Look at Moses goes before Pharaoh. It's like going before Hitler and said, let my people go. So we're not talking about losing our, our, our aggression. We're talking about sanctifying that and become aggressive about being successful, become aggressive about changing the world, become aggressive about making the difference, be aggressive about standing up what's right and speaking up against what's wrong. And in the last days, God's going to open over us the windows of heaven and pour us out such a blessing there won't be room enough to receive it. Amen. Now, let me close with this. If we don't sanctify that anger, look at Moses. Look at all that he did. But he never entered into the promised land because he never handled his anger. You go all the way back to Egypt, and he saw, and he was right. He was right, and he saw the mistreating, and he killed that soldier. And every step of the way, God is saying, listen, there's no excuses for this. You've got to deal with this. And then finally, what? And he, he goes up, he meets with God. God writes the Ten Commandments. He brings them down and he sees the people, they're messed up again. And he throws the tablets down in anger. God says, Strike two. And then God says, Speak to the rock. But he's angry again and he smotes the rock in anger. I've been there, I've been there in Jordan where the, the water literally comes out of a rock, and no matter how long a drought is, water always flows from that rock. I've been there. I've, I've drank from it. We've taken our groups in there. But instead of speaking to the rock, he smote it in anger, and God said, that's it. I know you love me. You've done good, but you're not going in the promised land. Listen, we're about to enter into the promised land. We are right now. We are entering into the, not the final promised land, but the promised land. And God wants to make sure that these things that are blocking your blessing are removed in every way. Can I have an amen? amen. Now, look at me. I'm going to tell you one more thing. When I was a drug addict, you can go ahead and play, Danton. When I was a drug addict, I tried to stop. I would try to stop. I, I, I had spent every penny I made. I spent, I, you know, I sold my cars. I sold my motorcycles. I, you know, I'm living in, in a shack in the woods. I've got no utilities. I've got, I've got no food. I'd, I'd go and get a, a loaf of bread and some peanut butter, and I'd survive on that because I had to have those drugs. I had to have them. And I would say, all right, I'm stopping. I'm I'm stopping. But I couldn't stop because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. They're not of this world, but they're supernatural. I can remember when I came back from Columbia, South America, I was down there and I had a ranch and I was smuggling. I was in the import export business of all natural substances. And I came back to see a friend of mine, a girl that I dated in college. And I remember going to her work and and she, she had seen my anger problem. She had seen this. And I said, you know, I've, I've changed. I've changed. And she said these words to me, and I didn't even know what they meant. But it's been almost 50 years. They stuck with me. She goes, Larry, you'll never change until you ask Jesus Christ into your heart. And I said, I knew this girl. I knew, I knew, you know, I knew, but that was the Jesus people. That was the beginning of the Jesus people movement. She said, you'll never change unless you have Jesus Christ in your heart. And I wonder how many here and how many are watching around the world, how many times do you need to have, will, will drugs or alcohol or anger or depression, will that destroy your life and you go I'm going to change I'm going to change in this next marriage or in this next job or whatever it is can I tell you what I was told almost 50 years ago you'll never change until you meet the one who changes everything and his name is Jesus I'd like to have every head bowed every eye closed no one looking around it would be my great honor if you have never been born again or maybe you have but you've backslid and you'd say, Pastor Larry, I would, I would like you to pray for me. I want that one who changes the world, change my life. 
I want to ask Jesus Christ to be my Lord, to be my Lord and Savior. As every head is bowed, every eye is closed, no one's looking around. Maybe you haven't totally backslid, but you're not really serving the Lord. You know, you're in church once in a while. You're out of church once in a while. You, you know, you, 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 you stop praying. You stop reading your Bible. And you say, Pastor, I can see, I, I, I felt this as I was driving in. I see some of these old habits starting to creep back in. These old ways creeping back in. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming lukewarm, as the prophecy says. Would you pray for me? Right in your seat, as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, no one's looking around. You'd say, Pastor, pray for me. Lift your hand up all over the building. Lift your hand up all over the building and hold it there the whole time. I see that hand, 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 that hand. God bless you. That hand, that hand, God bless you. That hand, God bless you. That hand, God bless you. That hand, just keep it up. That hand, God bless you. That hand, that hand, that hand, God bless you. That hand, that hand, God bless you. That hand, God bless you. That hand, God bless you. Keep it up, keep it up. That hand, God bless you. That hand, sir, God bless you. That hand, God bless you. That hand, God bless you. Would you give these folks a great big clap offering and say, we love you. We're so proud of you. Stand with me all over the building. Stand with me all over the building. I told you I was thinking about something and I missed my turn off and driving down the road. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, in my life or in my family, there is the spirit of addiction. There is the spirit of drugs or alcohol, or there's a spirit of anger or the reverse of anger. I'm mad at myself, depression. I haven't forgiven myself. But I felt very strongly that God would speak to people today. You're not backslid, but you're not on fire. You're not on fire. You're just going through the motions. And things of this world are beginning to take the place of your dedication to the Lord. Things of this world are beginning to be more important. And there's nothing wrong with these things. There's nothing wrong with soccer and football or building a business or all those things God wants to bless. But you need to keep Jesus on the main line. You remember, remember that song, Jesus on the main line, tell him what you want. Jesus on the main line. I love those old songs. If you want prayer and we want to break this curse, not only break the curse, but release the blessing of the destiny that God has for you. This next few years are going to be exciting. I want you to come out. Let me pray for you real quick. Just come out of your seat. You raise your hand for salvation. You raise your hand that you are backslidden. Or if you have or someone in your family has an anger problem, a little louder, Danton. Someone in your family has a, a problem with drugs or a problem with anger or a problem with alcoholism or the problem with suicide or something like that we're gonna break this pattern come on down come on down come on down come on down amen you know one of the things is they're coming keep coming and come towards the why is it nobody ever comes by me nobody no I bathe I bathe every week I bathe you know it's amazing that if we're going through something and the devil starts talking to us and says, you're the only one, you're not the only one. You're not the only one. That's why we need to be where we hear the word of God. We're not the only one. But here's the reality. If you were the only one, Jesus would have said, I'll do it. If I was the only one, you're the only one. He said, I'm going. Not my will, but thy will be done. Now, I don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But is anybody here dealing with anger? Anger. Lift your hand up. Anger. See, keep your hand up. Men and women. Men and women. Isn't that amazing? But here's the reality. I want angry men around me. I want angry men around me. I want angry, because angry men go to war. Angry women go to war. But what we're going to do is God's going to sanctify that. Amen? If we were in a men's ministry, I'd give you a scripture 
that says you got if you're going to be a leader you got to be a man but we're not in a men's ministry so i'm not going to do that and tis said you know you realize you're live on television all around the world watch what you say i know i One thing that I had to get past with my anger was that God would forgive me of my past. I've done things that nobody knows except Jesus and me. Can I tell you a story? I I think I've told this before. When Tiz and I first went out to pastor in Santa Fe, and I want you... uh, so is anybody here dealing with guilt? You feel like God won't forgive you. Anybody else in the audience out there? Okay, let me tell you a story. Tiz and I were pastoring our first church in Santa Fe. We were in Henry's Liquor and Meat Market. That was our building down in the hood. We were seeing hundreds of young people get saved. And this man would come in the back of the service every Sunday. And he'd stand in the back. The building was only like from me to that wall there. Oh, a little bigger. About as wide as from the seats to the platform here. Storefront. It's just a storefront. It used to be a liquor store. And he'd stand in the back. And I was leading worship. We didn't have a team. We didn't have a worship team. It was Tiz playing that she knew three chords. And I'm so glad Jesus set me free. And I'm so glad Jesus. We had revival. We, it, it, it's, it's not the talent. It's the anointing. Thank God we can have talent and anointing. Thank God for that. So I'd be leading, and this guy would stand in the back like this, just staring at me. And then as soon as I'd say you may be seated and i'm going to teach he'd bolt for the door take off and he'd just glare at me like this he was i remember he's like he was like 50 years old and so one day i had somebody preaching for him and i said listen this is the last song you take it because as soon as the song's over he's gonna so he bolted he saw me coming he bolted and i followed him down the street i'm going sir sir excuse me sir and he turned to me and he looked at me and he goes you have no right to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he began to name things that nobody knew from my past in the drug smuggling days and the gang days and stuff. He named things that nobody knew. And he said, you have no right. And he walked away, never saw him again. Now, I didn't think at that moment, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, right? If Satan accuses you of your past, it's because he's afraid of your future. You need to always remember that. You need to remember that. But I was, I was a novice at this, and he walked away, and he named things. And I had a violent temper. I had a violent temper. Listen, since then, I've had people rip me off. I've had, you know, I, you can't make me mad unless you're driving slow in the flash lane. There's no excuse for that nonsense. You may not have somewhere to go, but I do. And he named these things. And I could hear him singing in there. And I remember Satan speaking to me, and he said, if these people knew what you've done. And I thought, I have no right. And then the Spirit of God said, don't you ever bring up again what my son Jesus paid for with his blood. Don't you ever bring that up again. Don't you ever bring that up again. And I'll tell you something else. He who is forgiven much, loveth much. That's why I'm never, I'm never backsliding. I ain't going back there. I'm not even getting, gonna get lukewarm because our best is in front of us. So don't you ever let the devil, when you, when the devil, well, you know, God won't answer your prayer because of this. God won't answer your prayer because of this. And I say this jokingly, but I say it seriously. When the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Because there is a time coming soon. He's going to be tossed in the lake of fire and he ain't never getting out again. Somebody say amen. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray. And we're going to break this curse. But here's the key. Here's the key. I was a drug addict. I was a drug addict. Right after I got saved, 
Some folks that I used to deal drugs with from St. Louis came all the way to Flagstaff, Arizona just to see me and give me free drugs. Now, you know, I'd done a lot of drugs. My brain was pretty fried at that time. But I was smart. I didn't need Satan to come up in a red suit and go, hey, here's some free drugs now that you're set free. You know, when you're a drug addict, nobody gave you free drugs. So you gotta, you gotta cut the old folks off. You gotta cut those old relations off. You gotta be in church and get in the life group and hang out with people that are that are serving God. And I'll tell you what, it, it, when, when I when I first can I tell you another story? And you're not gonna be perfect. I have a we have a picture. And uh, it shows me we're down in, uh, from, from Flagstaff down to Sedona, Arizona. There's a canyon, it's called uh, uh, Slide Rock, where all the young people gather together. And, and you slide down this rock. It's a natural slide through the rock. You've been there, right? You see it in movies all the time. So we go down there almost every Saturday during the summer, and we'd baptize people, and we'd witness the people. And I remember one of my first times witnessing, and this guy's up on the rocks. He's mocking us. He's mocking us and everything. And so I, okay. So I climb up, and, 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 and God says, now, you know, handle it well. I, you know, I'm from the streets. I'm from, you know, I still, you know, I still say things. I go, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I'm from the streets. I, I've tried to change, but that's just the way I am. What you see is what you get. But I have learned. And so this guy's, and so I could see him get it. And he goes, you mean to tell you Jesus did that for you? I go, you blankety blank right. And I go, oh, man, that's not that. God forgive me, God forgive me. The first year of my life I spent on my knees at the altar in church thinking, you know, my pastor finally came to me and he said, you know, Larry, you only have to come to Jesus once. I go, no, you don't understand. This is going to be a process. <laughs> but what kept me there was people in church, being in church, becoming part of the church. So we're going to bind the devil. When I see the blood, the first place that Jesus shed his blood was to buy back our willpower. Amen? Buy back our willpower. So we're going to bind the devil of drugs. And maybe, it's, maybe, maybe you have a, 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 a loved one, a child, a grandchild, a, a husband, a wife, a nephew, niece. You, you know, you need it. Don't go up to them and say, I bind you in the name of Jesus. Don't do that. But in your prayers, I bind this devil. And I loosen the power of God. I loosen the love of God. I bind, I bind them from being around the wrong people. I bind the devil from you being around the wrong people. And I loosen the power of God. The world says you won't change. But the word says, when I set you free, Amen. you're free. Once a junkie, always a junkie. Now I got another one. Once a child of God, always a child of God. Are you ready? Lift your hands this way. Everyone lift their hands and say this out loud. Father, right now, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Satan, I bind you. I command you in the name and by the blood. Get out of my life. Get out of my body. Get out of my spirit. Get out of my home. Get out of my family. Get out of my finances. Get out of my future. I declare in the name and by the blood who the sun sets free is me who the sun sets free say it out loud is me who the sun sets free is me in jesus name amen and amen now give the lord a clap offering and just stay with me a minute stay with me a minute you need to get baptized need to go through some fundamental classes if you haven't gone through them. You need to get in a life group. And we didn't call them when I first got saved. We didn't call them life groups or cell groups or anything. We just always got together. 
because it's not enough just to come to church one Sunday a week. It's not enough. It's not enough. The devil's out there 24 seven trying to lure you in. So we would go, we'd get together and we'd go to Denny's. We'd get together and, you know, we didn't have any money. We were ex-drug addicts and hippies. And we'd all go get coffee and we'd go to Ron, Ron Simpkins' house or Joe Whitinger's house. I'm gonna confess something. I had done drugs so long and so many. My, my nickname in the world was OD because if it was one hit of acid, I took three. My nickname was OD. My brain, I have two college degrees, or a couple hours, minus two, less two college degrees. And my brain was so gone, I couldn't read anymore, I couldn't talk anymore. It, they put me in the 15 and under Sunday school class. I have a very high IQ. I, I got a double promotion, all these things, but drugs stole that from me. I'd go to, I remember going to Ron Simpkins' house and they just have us over for lasagna. Who makes that lasagna? Who, who's a, who makes that lasagna? Carl, I feel the Holy Ghost on Carla's lasagna. Uh, the bread of life. And they'd put me in a rocking chair and they'd sit around and we'd have coffee, chips and Coke and stuff. And I'd rock in that rocking chair and it didn't say a word. My brain was so gone from drugs. And they go, okay, Larry, that's time to go home, time to go home. And little by little, my mind came back. My, my brain came back, my thinking came back. But I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't have made it just coming to church once in a while. And that's what Satan's doing. Satan's, you know, Satan's doing, you know, we, we had church on Sunday morning. We had church Sunday night. We had church Wednesday. We had Bible study on Tuesday. We had revivals every other week for a week. Now those days are probably gone unless God does something, but you need to be around other Christians. Get in a life group, get in a life group. I would not have made it. I would not have made it just coming to church one day a week. And now we're, well, you we gotta get you in and out in 30 minutes. Well, we do an hour and a half. And you need to get around other people. You need to make friends in here. You need to get, get acquainted. All my friends started coming. We, we used to do, we used to do uh, from Flagstaff mission trips into Mexico. And all my friends thought, ah, I know what he's doing. He's pretending he's a Christian. And now with the church group, he's going into Mexico and smuggling drugs out. So they'd call, come out to get in on the deal. I'm not lying. You, you gotta understand, you know, this is why I'm looking at some of you and going, listen, you have no idea the destiny God has for you. So they'd come out and get in on the deal. Only thing is the deal was, I'd tell them about Jesus. They'd get saved full of the Holy Ghost. And now they'd become preachers. But that comes from being around each other. Can I pray, pray over you? Let, can I seal what God has done for me onto on you? Lift your hands towards me. All of you and all of you watching around the world. Maybe it's you, maybe it's a loved one. Father, I cover you. You are no respecter of persons. Father, I know what it is to be a drug addict. I know what it is to be filled with anger. I know what it is. And Father, I bind that spirit. Let me stop right now. I, I, I want to get out in one minute. I want to get out. Let them look at me. I want every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. God just dropped this in my spirit. And this is for everybody here and, and, and in, the, in the congregation. My dad never hugged me one time. My dad never told me he loved me. Now at the end, he got saved. He gave his life to the Lord. My dad would, my dad would beat us in case we did something wrong. And then I said, I'd never be, I'll never be like my dad. I'll never be like that. And I end up being the exact same thing. You're here today, male or female, and you say, you know what, pastor, I can relate. And I think, I'm gonna tell you, this is where this root comes from. You say, 
I've never known the love in my family. I want you to lift your hand up all over the building. I've never known this of. I know what it is. Hands are going up, hands are going up, hands are going up. Amen. 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 Look at me. I'm going to do something weird, but I'm going to do it. If you're by somebody, and hopefully women by women, I want you to, men by men, I want you to put your, put, just put your arm on each other. Men, put your arm on each other. Ladies, put your arm on each other. Put your arm on each other. Put your arm on each other. Now, I'm going to tell you a story that I've never told publicly. I was about 10 years old, I think, nine years old, something. And I came home early. We lived in the inner city. We lived in inner city. We lived in a house of like, was it 800, 900 square feet? And I came home early. My dad was on the phone. And I walked in the kitchen. I remember him leaning on the fridge. And he didn't know I was there. And he's saying, I don't, I've, I've got one son. Come and get this one. I don't want him. And he's talking about me. He said, I don't want him come and get him and they wouldn't and I went I'm right in my room and I thought my dad my dad wants to give me away but I'm gonna tell you something maybe you've gone through something like that and you've never felt your dad or your mom's love my mom was a saint my mom was an angel but your father will never leave you no matter what you do, he'll never leave you. In fact, he loves you so much he sent his son to come and pay the price so he could welcome you home. Don't ever forget your dad wants you. He doesn't put up with you. He wants you. And it's his good pleasure to bring you joy like you've never had before. I want you to feel, at times when you go through stuff, I want you to feel that arm that you feel right now. Your brother, your sister, we're, we're in this together. But I want you to feel the love of God. Because when you understand, when you feel, God doesn't love me because. He loved me despite. And that love is the reason I'm still doing this today. It's a love that passes all understanding. What a wonderful, wonderful Father we have. Amen. Father, I seal this love. I seal this that can never be taken. I seal this self-worth. I feel this I seal this destiny on every man and woman here in our audience and around the world that literally the love of God declares our best is yet to come. If you receive the love of God right now, give the Lord a great big clap offering. We love you. God bless you. I went over three minutes. If you, listen to me, if I have never met you, I'm going to come down here and stand here, and I'd love to meet you. If you brought somebody and I've never met them, bring them down. If you need special prayer, our prayer warriors will be down here. Say this out loud. My best is yet to come. Starting today. Give the Lord a clap over you one more time. I love you. Kids love you. God loves you. God bless. Amen.